I don't really want to offer any new practices today. We've got a plenty to play with, um, plenty. Um, so, a little bit talking around uh, work with the emotions, etc., and uh, perhaps tying things together and exploring a few things. And go back to the opening talk, and, and we said that um, what we've been doing, this whole set of practices on this retreat, really is um, just one angle, one way of approaching this whole realm of human emotionality. As I said then, it's, it's uh, one out of many possible approaches. I wouldn't even say it's the best one. You know, if, I don't think there is a best one. They, uh, they give different things. And uh, <clears throat> the more one goes into it, the more one realizes actually, what is an emotion anyway? What is a mind state? It can be very easy to think I can circumscribe something with a definition and know what it is. The more one gets into it, and is it different than uh, than the body sensation and the thoughts and the perceptions and the reactivity and all of that? Where does it? What's the actual thing there? Can I find it? When we uh, come to work with this, so for instance. Um, we have been working a lot with what you could call inner dynamics. So reactivity, allowing, these are kind of, dy- you could view them as dynamic forces in the psyche and the consciousness, etc. And we've been working with those, becoming aware of them and, and learning to soften and, and all that. So working with inner dynamics. There's whole other ways of working with uh, almost like inner, inner persons, as if there are characters inside of us, like archetypal characters, and that's completely valid as well. So sometimes when we talk about the inner critic, we're talking about the inner critic as if it's someone, and sometimes it feels like it's a someone inside. And, you know, is there really a someone inside me? But I go back to what I said last night, what's the really mean? It's a way of looking that can sometimes be really helpful. Uh, if I have an inner critic character. I can dialogue with that character. I can understand maybe this character, this person, has a certain perspective or something they want or something they're demanding, maybe for good reason, maybe for mistaken reason, whatever. Or um, my regarding it as a character can sometimes inflate it and make it stronger. Um, I could also regard the inner critic as is just some thoughts, and um, they arise and they pass. And I see. All it is, is certain thoughts arising and disappearing at certain times, and the belief of those thoughts, and the reaction. And that's all it is. It's just that. And sometimes that's a really helpful view, and sometimes not. And there's no reason, as practitioners, why we can't move between both, both these views. I'm using the inner critic as an example. <clears throat> and so similarly with uh, the story, you know, the stories that often go with our heartaches or our anger or our difficulty. You know, on one end of kind of, if, if you say complexity, simplicity, a lot of what we've been working with the practices uh, on this retreat are simplifying practices. Here's this big complex emotion and can I look at it in a way that is simple and that simplifies. So I just find, well, what's the sensation? What does it feel like in the body? And can I just be with that? Very simple and simplifying. Uh, But sometimes going into the story is really helpful. And then 
sometimes going to the story is completely making a problem out of things. It's making things, uh, it's rigidifying, solidifying a self-view and an other view and this is exactly what happened view and we get locked into a prison with one story. And maybe when we look at our past it's actually that there isn't one exact story. And this is tricky territory. It's not denial, but it's that actually maybe our stories are more malleable than we might realize. I can look at a story, the same thing. Such and such and such happen. I can look at it this way, interpret it this way, look at it this way, interpret it this way, look at it this way. What comes from all that, as we were saying last night? What helps? In, rather than this, this is my story, it's like I have stories and I have possible stories and it's all like plasticine. I can shape it. It's, it's tri- tricky to say this, and, and sometimes it, uh, you know one has to be very careful. But there's uh, something in this that I think it's really helpful at some point when one feels ready to understand. And sometimes we might need to cling to a rigid story. So what would it be in relationship to a certain story that liberates something for me? I'm not changing, I'm just seeing it differently in a way that gives me strength, gives me courage, gives me um, creativity and and momentum into the future, Uh, uprightness, openness, propels my life with a sense of purpose. Or is there a way of looking at the story, I just just cave in and I get stuck and I'm locked into something. It makes all the difference. And it's the same story in a way. So, what's the way of looking? I keep going back to this way of looking, way of seeing. What's the way of looking, way of seeing at the story, at stories? And just as holding the sensations in the body, we're practicing ways of looking at that level. But to me, this is all really interesting. If, if one doesn't uh, feel a need to lock into this or that view, and, wh- and why would we need that? Which is also an interesting question. Why would we need that? <clears throat> Something happens in meditation, or can happen, when we get quite quiet. At the times uh, when we get quite quiet, and again, this is one one perspective. This is just this one perspective that I've mentioned. It's not the only one, but we see this business of what I've been co- talking about: fabricating emotions. You actually see it going on, and you, you, it's almost like you catch the consciousness in the act. And so sometimes when, when there's a lot of quietness and a lot of calmness, there's really not much happening, you can actually see the beginning of an emotion constellate. And, and there's just some body sensations that come, maybe some thoughts, uh, and there's the interpretation of the body sensations. And then if I'm just, I'm just aware, I'm just watching, spacious, calm, and uh, I don't block that, this thing is, I can see it kind of uh, coming together. And I don't block it. I don't stop it. I'm just watching it. And I allow it. I allow it. As we were saying yesterday with the allowing. Oftentimes the allowing and the just watching and allowing, it doesn't get constructed. And one has seen something about the beginnings of emotions and what goes on there. And as I was saying, rather than... Uh, what is one view and a very important and helpful view that there are kind of pre-packaged, pre-existing emotions in me waiting to come up, one actually notices something different. Rather than I'm a person who has this, this and this emotion, anger, fear and whatever in me, 
waiting to go. Uh, rather than that, one sees something different. Again, that is a valid, really helpful, valid perspective. But one also sees from another angle. I see habitual tendencies to fabricate certain emotions. And that's something different. So I might see, rather than this anger existing in me because of something that happened ready to expose itself when I'm not in denial and when I have the courage to feel it, rather I'll see that I, I somehow, in, in my life and, and the way I've been, and reactivity and thought, I've, uh, there is a habitual tendency to fabricate this kind of emotion, anger, or whatever it is, or this kind of mind state. And that's not something we should blame. There's no blame in that at all. There's no blame at all. If I notice, I have a tendency to fabricate irritation, or judgment, or anger, or, or whatever. It's not about blame at all. But when I see this, it's like I can't fully believe anymore. If I see this enough times, I can't fully believe in this idea of um, karma from the past or feelings from the past um, that need releasing, that I need to somehow release. They need to come up and out in a catharsis. I can't fully believe that, although it's helpful, very helpful at times. So there's something I need to understand about what I'm calling fabrication, construction. On many levels, many levels, partly to do with emptiness, like we're saying, partly also, if we take it to a more personal level, what's it giving me? What's it giving me? Let's say I have a tendency to fabricate a sense of loneliness or isolation or um, feeling misunderstood or anger or, or whatever it is, or sadness or depression. What's it giving me? And again, that's not a question to judge. Because automatically you think, what's it giving me? Oh yeah, I've got some, you know, my ego's invested in some terrible way. It's giving me something on the sly, you know, backhander or whatever. And automatically it comes in with a certain uh, assumption, a certain judgment of that question. But maybe it's giving me something beautiful and good. Very contrary to maybe typical uh, kind of thinking that we might have about this in, in the Dharma. Maybe it's giving me some kind of richness. Maybe it's uh, giving me some kind of soulfulness or something. Some kind of way that things are opening up through this and deepening and and, uh, planting something deep in the being. Maybe. Who knows? But what what it needs is openness and honesty and, and courage and curiosity. So we talked a little bit how how we fabricate emotions, uh, and um, and one of the pieces that we've mentioned but not really that fully is is how the self view comes in to fabricate certain emotions. So I believe I have these assumptions and conclusions about who I am, what my personality is. This is me. I'm like this, and oftentimes they're so negative, aren't they? They're so bla- self blaming. But out of that little pot of, of writhing snakes of self-view comes the emotion. And then the emotion, here I am having that same old emotion again, and it feeds back into the self-view. And the self-view feeds the emotion, the emotion feeds the self-view. And, and so it goes, and so it goes. So big, big part of practice at lots of different levels over, over time is really questioning the self-views we had. There was a, <clears throat> a retreatant here a while ago, and, and we were working a little bit on this, and then she realized that, and this is quite common, one of her self-views was that, um, it, in her words, it's all my fault. 
whatever it is, and it was usually most things. Um, it's all my fault. There's this self-blame. And so really skillfully, she took herself outside onto the lane, and she just walked quite uh, rapidly, and repeating out loud to herself, it's all my fault, it's all my fault, it's all my fault. This is slightly dangerous uh, practice. <laughs> Not to mention you might get arrested. But, um, but anyway, she was doing that, and it's quite, it's quite quiet here. But, uh, so she's doing it, and after a while, it's just, it's just, this is completely ridiculous. And she started laughing. The, the very self-view that had been in there, almost that she couldn't see. It's so close. It's like the hand being up to the face. I can't see. It's so close. And, and was having such a devastating effect. You repeat it, put it out loud, and, and you hear yourself say it, and it's just ridiculous. How could it possibly be that it's all my fault? The self wants to make it. It's the star of the show. It's at the center of the universe. It's the most important person here. Um, so really good to expose these and, and, uh, and, and really question them. And <clears throat> um, awareness of emotions too unlocks the self-view as well. Because a person finds themselves, uh, if they're aware, having certain emotions, that, that doesn't fit my view. So the big guy is... Uh, sitting and, and uh, watching some romantic movie and and, <laughs> and it's like it doesn't fit with the tissues and, and um, but it's opening the self view. And who am I when all this goes quiet? And in meditation, you know, in those times when it just gets really calm and really quiet and actually there's no real emotion there. It's just a kind of equanimity, a kind of stillness. Who am I then? I might have defined myself based on the repetition of such and such emotion. All that goes quiet. And then who am I? So with all this, this, this uh, multiplicity of perspectives that I've talked about, multiplicity of sort of directions of exploration as well, it's like big part in what we've been talking about this week. Do I have the courage to feel? Can I summon? Can I develop? the capacity and the courage to feel uh, what's difficult feel and, and also what's beautiful because sometimes people uh, want to c- constrain that. Do I have the courage to feel? And do I have the courage not to feel? Do I have the courage to allow all the feeling and all the emotions to get really quiet? Because that may threaten the self-view and it may threaten whatever ideas about emotionality and how that locks into a story and how that locks into this is how things are maybe not just for me courage on on both sides uh, interesting and where where do i where do i tend to go where do i tend to have courage and where do i tend maybe not to have so much courage um a little while ago someone was here and um had had a quite, quite a traumatic upbringing in different ways, um, and and was still struggling a lot, uh, and and was here on and off for a little bit, still struggling a lot with certain holdings in the body and certain emotions and certain self views, and um, I can't remember exactly what happened now, but we we were working and, and I think what it was was uh, what happened is she was working with some emotion and. Uh, again, going back to what we said a couple of days ago, 
strength and power came up for her and and I could see that it was there and it uh, and she wasn't noticing it and she wasn't inhabiting it and owning it and letting it fill her she just went off onto something else completely missed that it was there and when we were talking about the difference then between releasing an emotion and she she'd done lots of work in therapy and cathartic work and body work, releasing the pain of trauma, releasing anger, releasing um, grief, etc. But that's a different thing, um, releasing emotions held in, in the body, etc. is different from releasing strength, or power in this case, into accessibility. This is this is a dimension of the being that, despite all this catharsis and all this all this work that she'd done over really quite a long time, very dedicated, there's a different kind of releasing, which is releasing our resources into accessibility. So, different different uh, notion of releasing. Actually, I think I'm going to stop there. Um, you get the, the bigger point. Um, yes, an emotion I have, I feel angry about such and such. I feel afraid when I uh, go out there and I see you know, a, a tiger or whatever it is. Um, the, the fear is telling me something sensible, like when I put my hand in the fire and it's hot. It's telling me something that I need to listen to. That's what an emotion does. Very healthy, very necessary, very important. Yes, it's that. Yes, it's true that we have stuff coming up from the past. Such and such happened and this grief needs to come up, this anger, this whatever it is. Yes, it's true that the emotion actually doesn't exist without me making it in the moment and fabricating it. That's also true. Yes, lots of other things are true. That actually, from a whole other perspective, the emotions we have are kind of, uh, you could say, just the archetypal expressions of the unconscious that need to express themselves because that's how the psyche constellates itself. That's a whole other view. Yes, 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 yes. And what, what do these different uh, modes of approach open up for us? <laughs>